0: Rise and shine, pinchers. Welcome back to another episode of Just a Quick Pinch. I'm your host, Connie Wang. All right, you guys, Masha is back for her basically monthly episode now. Uh, Masha is my nervous system coach. You guys love her. I love her. We all love her. She always has some awesome insight. Check out all of her other episodes with us if you haven't already. But today's episode is all about the growing pains that happen along our way when we pursue our goals. Because we all say, we all say, you know, you gotta seek discomfort. You gotta find and lean into your discomfort. Your dreams happen outside of your comfort zone. But what do we do when leaving our comfort zone feels like a threat to our livelihood. It feels like a threat to our survival. This is where we have to learn how to allow our bodies to adapt to change, how to allow our bodies to become resilient to stress, and allow our bodies to basically get used to that feeling of success and to tolerate that discomfort. Um, We also learn about how to be more selective with our discomfort because we also don't want to just totally, you know, pain is gained through it and then end up in burnout either. So today's episode is all about how to get used to that feeling of discomfort that comes with success. Now, on to the main episode with Masha. Hit it, Editing Connie! Alrighty, Masha. So, I I have a confession to make.
1: <laughs> um, okay. So, for
0: anyone new here, I'm still in Masha's course. It's, a, I believe, like our last month, which is crazy. But I was watching this video... And the video that you posted was about understanding what the process of growth looks like. And I caught myself thinking, which now I realize it's because I was in a sympathetic state of being like, I got to do more, blah, blah, blah. I caught myself thinking like, hmm, this feels kind of boring. You know, like, like, I don't want to say boring in a bad way. You know what I mean? But I totally get it. Yes. Like my high achiever brain wasn't turned on because I was like, oh, I want to look for like the tips and tricks thing. And this one was like, what does it look like? To, to like witness the process of growth. Um, now that I've watched the video, I have such like an appreciation for it. And I'm like, oh, this is the thing that people are missing. So can you explain to people though that might be thinking the same thing that I am Why is it so important to understand what the process of growth looks like?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate the honesty because that's so true. And that's you really witnessing the high achiever in you. And actually, let's be correct here. The overachiever in you that's like, I just want to fix this. I just want to get over it. I just want the next thing. I just want the win, the achievement, right? And, you know, I do. I force you to slow down a little bit because we want to counteract that overachiever part in you. But yeah, with growth, I just think people are completely misunderstanding it in terms of their misunderstanding what it looks like and what they should expect to happen. And when those expectations of what you think growth should look like versus what it actually looks like don't line up People often quit, they get discouraged, they start pushing in the wrong direction, right? And then they're like, I don't get why it's not working. I'm doing everything possible and it's not working. And actually it is working, you're just misunderstanding it. Mm -hmm. Then when you're actually moving through it, it kind of feels like you're going in circles. And I think that's the part that people don't expect right? It feels like you keep doing all this work and yet you still keep coming back to that same point, the same problem, the same frustration, the same feelings in your body, the same issues in your business, whatever it may be, right? And the truth is that's not because you're going in circles, it's because you're moving on an upward spiral. And so every time you come back to a similar point on that spiral, a similar problem, a similar issue, what's actually happening is you have the opportunity to witness it from a slightly higher perspective, right? And from that higher perspective, you could start to understand what that next loop on the spiral would look like. What do you need to work on? Where do you need to make adjustments? And so that's that next spiral. And so growth actually is a series of of expansions and contractions and every time we have an expansion it feels like we're moving forward we're making progress that's because of the work we did in the contraction that came before the low points the struggles things not working being frustrated right and we could anticipate if we're in an expansion and we still want to keep growing there's probably going to be a contraction pretty shortly right a low moment a point of struggle a point of discomfort that's coming right? Because it's this ongoing series that each contraction leads to an expansion and each expansion leads to a contraction. And like every time the expansions get a little bit bigger. And so I think that's one major part that people don't understand. And the other is just how much discomfort goes into growth, how uncomfortable, like literally growth is stepping out of your comfort zone, which means discomfort. And most of us don't expect that, you know, we expect it to go pretty smoothly, to be linear, to feel good all the time. Because I think there's, you know, a lot in our culture around being happy, about constantly growing, about things going exactly as planned. Um, And I think that misleads us and we are almost left unprepared. And when we do experience discomfort, we're like, oh, I must be doing it wrong.
0: So this kind of reminds me of, like, the age-old phrase, like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And it's kind of like – I feel like in self-help, it's almost – it's it's touted that, like, oh, like, you, you need this pain and whatnot. Um, but something I learned from your course that was really helpful was the phrase that willpower is no match for your nervous system. And I feel that because there's times where, like – I'll be doing something at work and I learn from like a mistake or something. And then my brain is like, this is good. These are lessons, but I still can't help but like go home crying, you know, cause it feels like painful and maybe my body thinks I'm in danger from it. Can you go into why there's this kind of internal battle between our willpower and then our nervous system and our body?
1: Yeah. Yes. You, you bring up so many good points, right? And like one, I just have to call out, we can come back to it, is this idea that like on one hand we're told, you know, like, you know, pain kind of makes you stronger, mm-hmm. right? On one hand, there's that, and on the other hand, I think there's this expectation that things are going to be pretty easy and pretty smooth, and we don't want the discomfort. And so that is already a little bit of an internal battle of like make it really hard. But then when it's really hard, you're like, well, it should be easier than this, it should <laughs> yeah. be different. right. Yeah. And then there's that battle already, right? And we could come back to that. But yes, you're bringing up another really good point, which is this willpower piece that like we think that. If logically we could understand we should keep going and if we could just keep pushing ourselves, that's enough. But the second you get dysregulated, you kind of lose access to that willpower, Mm -hmm. right? Your prefrontal cortex, the executive functioning, it starts to turn off. And so that's where willpower is. So the second you're dysregulated, willpower starts to go out the window and your survival instinct actually kicks in. Right? And your survival instinct isn't concerned about your growth, your health, your relationship. It's concerned about you feeling safe in this exact moment. How do you survive this moment and the discomfort in this moment, which might be physical, it might be mental, it might be emotional. Right, And so you might have this part of you that's saying, no, I need to keep pushing, I need to keep hustling, I need to keep doing this thing. But if in that moment your nervous system gets completely overwhelmed, that prefrontal cortex starts to go dark, your survival instinct kicks in, willpower goes out the window, and then your nervous system is going to do whatever it needs to do in order to make you feel safe in this moment, right? And for a lot... of For many of us, that looks very different. For somebody, it might be procrastinating and completely shutting down and disassociating. For another person, it might be kind of spinning your wheels in place and trying to do a billion things and like, you're cleaning, you're doing this, you're doing this. It's not very strategic, but you're like doing a lot of things in order to try to move forward, right? But in both of those cases, that's not you logically thinking about it. That's your nervous system taking over and trying to think, what can I do to make you feel good in this moment, to make you feel safe? in this moment.
0: Mm. So then is something that we should be trying to do is just not tricking but helping our nervous systems feel safer in times of growth and stress.
1: Yes, exactly, right? Because there's a part of you that wants to grow, right? Mm. You can call this your willpower, but it's more than that. It's maybe, you know, if you believe in a soul or a spirit, there's a part of you that desires growth and healing and expansion, and there's a part of you that desires safety and comfort. Okay. Your nervous system. Right. And these are always kind of at odds. They're trying to balance one another to some degree. Right. And so if we want to move towards our goals and our desires and our dreams, we need to work with our nervous system so that our nervous system doesn't overtake that part of you that wants to grow. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that part of you wants to grow, starts going too fast, too far, too deep, more than your nervous system thinks is safe for you. Your nervous system is going to shut down the show. Like, no, we're not doing that.
0: There's like no competing with that either though, I bet. Cause it's like so um, instinctual and strong. It's like literally fighting your will to survive, right? Exactly. It's fighting
1: your will to survive. You're a hundred percent right. And it's so sneaky. I think that's also an interesting thing. We often don't realize that what happen- what's happening is our nervous system kind of taking over and pulling us back, right? Sometimes it could be our, you know, our mind starts saying like, actually, I didn't even want that in the first place. I don't even care about that. Maybe that doesn't even matter, mm. right? That could also be your nervous system being like, this is too overwhelming. Sometimes we just feel sh- shut down and like we don't have enough energy to continue, that could happen too, but like it just comes up in these sneaky ways that sometimes you don't even realize until a month or two and you're like, oh my gosh, I think I was getting overwhelmed and my nervous system kind of just pulled me back because it thought it was just too much. But the truth is at the end of the day, if we want to move towards our goals, we need to get our nervous system on board. We need to make sure our nervous system isn't getting too overwhelmed because when it does, it shuts the whole thing down. Right. So we need to be cultivating safety for the nervous system and working with it, not working against it, because when we're working against it, it does feel like that internal battle of like one part of me wants to, you know, use willpower and keep going and achieve all these things. And then there's this other part of me that I don't really like that is just like ruining everything, sabotaging everything.
0: I kind of feel like, though, in self-help books, all of the self-help podcasts, there's this whole, like, kind of like what we touched on before, which is, like, the whole, like, pain is gain kind of thing. So, like, when you think about how we just discussed how the goal, right, is to make your nervous system feel safe with this discomfort, though, it seems, like, kind of wrong. And this is kind of what we discussed in our course to then be like, well, discomfort is the answer then, to just blanket statement. Like, everything I'm learning is that it shouldn't be a blanket statement.
1: Exactly. Yes, you're you're spot on that it's definitely not a blanket statement and it's it's very nuanced and it's almost like a balance, right? Because I started out this conversation saying that growth is discomfort and you need to get used to that. You need to get okay with the fact that you're going to keep being very uncomfortable if you're if you want to keep growing, right? So that's one That's one component of it. But the other component of it is if you push too hard, if you take on too much discomfort, if you start doing too much too quickly, more than your nervous system feels is safe, that's not going to work either. It's just going to completely shut down. And so we need to be finding kind of that sweet spot of what does it look like to step out of our comfort zone into discomfort, but not so far into discomfort that our nervous system identifies that as a threat and shuts the whole thing down.
0: Mm. So in finding this balance, then how do we really tell like what's discomfort that's healthy for us? And then what's discomfort that is not healthy for us?
1: Yeah. And so this is where I think understanding your nervous system to me becomes so foundational when it comes to working towards your goals, right? These like basic information about the nervous system, because I think it's very hard to find that line. Mm-hmm. If you are not in tune with your body and your nervous system. If you're not paying attention to sensations, if you're not paying attention to the states in your body, it's very hard to tell where the line is. And I will say overachievers are notoriously bad at paying attention to the cues from their body. Because think about it, how do you become an overachiever? By completely ignoring your body, ignoring hunger cues, ignoring, you know, Uh, the, the cue for rest, ignoring the fact that you haven't drank water in four hours, right? Like, How do you become successful in these fields if you're not that way, if you're not constantly ignoring your body, right? But if you get really good at ignoring your body, it's very hard to tell where that line is, which is why overachievers are so prone to burnout because burnout is basically trying to do too much too quickly where your nervous system thinks it's dangerous. And so you go so far into like the danger zone where it's no longer Comfort, healthy discomfort, it's now like full on pain and you're endangering yourself and your well being, but you're not recognizing. And then eventually your nervous system and your body kind of pulls the emergency brake and is like, no, you're done, you're done. And that's burnout, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one way of thinking about burnout. And so finding that line is very hard. I want to kind of make that very clear, especially if you're an overachiever. And if you're trying to start finding that line, it's really tuning into the cues from your body like even the basic ones like when am i hungry when am i tired when do i need a break right when do i need to go to bed if you're if you can't even notice those understanding where the line between discomfort that is healthy and helping you grow is and where like the danger zone is is going to be very very difficult right and so you know one of the things i teach and you probably remember is the stress curve which is kind of like an upside down u Right. And what it shows is on the X axis on the bottom, it shows stress. And on the Y axis, it shows performance. And what this upside down U shows is that at first, as stress goes up, our performance goes up. Right. And that's actually that makes a lot of sense because as human beings, we need a little bit of stress. All stress is not bad. Stress is good. Stress is needed. But it's how much stress. Mm. Right. And then there does come this point where it's like somewhere in like medium amount of stress, you reach this peak performance, right? Where this is where you've stepped out of your comfort zone. Your nervous system is a little bit activated, but this is where you feel that state of flow, concentration, tunnel vision, right? You're like, I got this and you have to, you're so energized, right. But then after that it starts dropping. as the stress keeps increasing, going from medium to like medium high, high, your performance starts to dip very, very quickly. And most people are not aware of that. And again, overachievers, they're like, oh, I felt so great. Let me just keep working more. And the more they work, the worse their performance gets. But the worse their performance gets, the more they try to work, right? So we often call that like the zone of delusion where you're like, I just need to work a little harder and you're working more and more to get less and less results. You're out of that like sweet spot where stress is making you perform really high. Right. And so this is what we're trying to identify when we're trying to understand where is that line is we're trying to find that sweet spot of you're a little out of your comfort zone. There, there is some stress, but it's stress that you could handle and it's not too overwhelming. And once you're in that kind of sweet spot, you don't want to stay there forever. That's another key part of it. You need to keep pulling back, resting, getting into your comfort zone and then stepping back in. That's actually how we build resilience.
0: Yeah, I loved that part of the lesson when we were learning about like the zone of delusion, because I just think it was so funny. (laughs) And also like accurate, like all of us have been there where we've been like, well, we studied, we pulled an all nighter for this test. And like it worked before. Uh, Well, Mm -hmm. like we studied really hard for this test. It worked before. Let's just keep going and pull an all nighter this time. And then I'll get a perfect score. Um, and I think what you were saying too, about how the importance is like that awareness of where you are is really important because if I'm understanding everything I've learned in the course correctly, something that could be a healthy form of stress, let's say like exercise, like running when you're in like your, um, your ventral state when you're healthy you could just see running as like oh this is a good outlet for me it's good exercise but then when you're in your sympathetic state you could start to see it as like oh i need to like run faster run longer run like chase that kind of achievement with the running um is that is that true too then that like your state kind of dictates like the same activity running but turns it into something that's a healthy form of stress and then an unhealthy form
1: oh absolutely and so you're so right that like depending on which state you're in, you're going to see the activity differently and you're going to have a different experience of it. And I think that's what you're kind of alluding to, right? Like mm-hmm. going for a jog when you're feeling regulated and safe and like you have the capacity to could feel amazing. It could feel almost meditative, mm-hmm. right? But going for a jog when you're very dysregulated, um, sometimes it could feel like a good release of energy. If that was your intention, if you were very intentional with running and you're like, okay, right now I'm overwhelmed, there's too much energy in my body, let me go for a run, and so it could move some of that energy out. But You could also be in that sympathetic state, not be using it intentionally and just kind of be, you know, I have these overachiever clients who they have so much going on. They're so overwhelmed. They're barely sleeping. They have so many work projects, so many commitments. And they're like, and I need to get a run in. I can't skip my workout no no matter what. Right. So they're not running with the intention of supporting themselves and getting healthier and releasing energy. They're running because they have to, because if they don't, they're going to feel like a failure right? And then that experience of running is no longer a positive, supportive tool. It is actually adding stress. You are already kind of overwhelmed with stress. Running is stress on your body. If we do it in a place where we have capacity and where it's intentional, it could be a healthy stress. We need stress. But if we do it in a place when we're overwhelmed, not intentionally, and actually from a place of, if I don't do it, I'm going to be a failure or something bad will happen, right? Then actually it adds stress and takes us in the other direction.
0: And I think the powerful thing that you said in this lecture was how, like, this fluid movement, it's not like we're supposed to stay in this one state forever, too, right? Like, when I was watching the video, again, in sympathetic state, I was like, okay, my goal, how do I stay in the optimal performance zone constantly? (laughs) And then that's right. When you said, you're like, actually, you're supposed to go back and forth between comfort and optimal. And I was like, why can't I stay in optimal? Exactly. Again, spoken like a
1: true overachiever, right? These are kind of the little things we got to start pointing out. And it's interesting, right? The more we talk, we can kind of see like overachievers, they have a problem of going too far, right? Mm. Too far into the discomfort. You know, sometimes where you feel like some people feel like they're underachievers, they struggle to kind of step into that discomfort. They're almost afraid of that discomfort, right? That's their nervous system's way of protecting them, avoid the discomfort. Whereas overachievers are like, I get validation where I just keep taking on more pain, right? Like their pain tolerance is almost way too high and they see that as almost a badge of honor. They see that's what gives them worth and value, their ability to take on and tolerate a lot of pain and discomfort. Right. And both are kind of going too far um, in either direction where the truth is that in order to have this resilient nervous system, which at the end of the day, like no matter what our goals are, the thing I want to get across here is we need a resilient nervous system. Right. Because Mm. whatever goal you have, you know, whatever dream you have, if it's more than what you have right now, it's going to also be more stress.
0: Right. Mm. We forget that though. We forget that in order to up level to where we want to be, it's going to be an up level of the stress as well. Exactly. Exactly. So
1: we need to remember that, right? Like your most beautiful, biggest goals are probably going to require more stress. They will require more stress. Even if you tell me, like, yeah, but my long term goal is, I don't know, to have a mansion and like be traveling the world. It's like, yes, but the process of getting there, A, is going to be stressful because it's going to require a lot of changes. And To your nervous system, if you're an overachiever now who never has a free moment, the idea of just being able to relax, your nervous system does not have the capacity for that. That feels stressful, right? Mm, Like that feels like too much. Like, I don't know how I could do that now. So whatever dream you have, especially if it's a big one, it's going to be more stress. So our job now is like, okay, how do we expand our, our ability to hold a lot of stress? And your nervous system is what determines how much stress you could hold, right and so our work is how do we increase our nervous system's capacity to hold and like handle all the stress and the overachiever thinks i do that by taking on as much pain and discomfort as possible by hustling as hard as i possibly can right and that's a mistake you have to work hard yes you have to step into discomfort yes But we know that the way you build resilience in your nervous system is no different than the way you build strength at the gym, right? So I always use that analogy where, Mm -hmm. you know, if you are trying to get stronger at the gym, you're not going to go there on the first day and start lifting 100 pound weights, right? If you did the A, you probably wouldn't be able to. And B, if you did, you're 100% going to get hurt and you're probably not going to be able to work out for a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. You would have to start with those light weights, work out, then you go home, you rest, and then you come back. And you keep doing that. You push yourself into discomfort. You stress your body by taking on a little, you know, heavier weight than, than usual, and then you rest. And over time, that makes your muscles stronger and stronger and stronger. The same thing that goes for our nervous system. If you want a stronger nervous system that could handle more stress to match your really beautiful big goals... You need to do that very intentionally. You need to step into discomfort, discomfort that is a little bit out of your comfort zone, but not completely overwhelming and shutting you down. You need to be there for short bursts of time, and then you need to pull back and go rest. And that rest could just be a good night of sleep. It could be breaks in the middle of your day, but you need to pull back. And then again, you step into discomfort. And what you'll notice is that movement you know, into, we call it your stretch zone, like where mm-hmm. you're stretching, but not burning out. And then back to your comfort. zone. So that movement back and forth is what makes your nervous system stronger and stronger and stronger. Every time you rest, you come back and you could take on a tiny bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's what the process of growth really is. Constantly stepping out of your comfort zone in a way that doesn't overwhelm your nervous system, then pulling back to some degree, resting and regulating, and then stepping into it again, just a little bit more this time. And over time, that creates really big results and a nervous system that could hold those big dreams.
0: To, to kind of like summarize for anyone, and I'm, and I'm gonna include like a visual because I think that visual is really powerful too. But what you're saying about this going in and out of that stage, it's really like an upside down bell curve the initial is bore out. Then there's, a, then there's your comfort zone. Your comfort zone, the familiarity, the safe feeling zone. And then there's the stretch zone. And the stretch zone is where you challenge yourself with little healthy forms of challenge. You have optimal performance. And this is where we want to be is oscillating between that um, stretch zone, but then not going too far, going back to comfort. Because if we go too far into that stretch zone, that takes us into um, the strain and like the burnout parts of that downward bell curve. As high achievers are unfortunately pretty familiar at some point with the whole strain, the burnout phase, we kind of have, unfortunately, an understanding of what that feels like. Um, but I also do want to talk about something which I didn't know about until your course, which is the bore-out phase. I actually told my fiance about this this morning on a car ride, and he was like, wow, I like, learned so much. I was telling him about how like, bore-out is like the other side of it, too, and we need to consider that. Um, can you unpack yeah. bore-out a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's so true. I think
1: it's really interesting. But basically, the bore out, if you kind of look at that upside down U curve, is where there's very little stress, almost no stress. And what's surprising is there's very low performance. And so what that tells us is that as human beings, we need a little bit of stress. We were created to handle stress. It's what makes us get up in the morning and, you know, go seek out food and shelter, right? We were created to have a little bit of stress. It motivates us. It pushes us. Mm -hmm. It makes us move towards something. And so when we have no stress whatsoever, it actually doesn't make us productive or creative. It could almost feel like a little depressing, actually. It could actually feel very similar to, to burnout, just mentally and emotionally, just feeling like there's no energy for anything. There's no excitement, just a little bit of like
0: numbness. Um, do you remember when I first started this program? It was actually right after we had graduated I had graduated dental school, and I just moved into this new apartment. I was trying to, like work on the course, But I was actually really struggling. I think I struggled more with this course when I was, when I didn't have anything going on before I started my job, when I was quote unquote on summer vacation, I had all these big plans to like record a lot of content and like move my podcast so much farther. And I didn't during that phase. And I ended up feeling really discouraged by that because I'm like, I had all this time, no stress of school, what was going on? And I kind of just slapped a label on it being like, Oh, I was recovering from burnout from school. But now I'm like, Oh, maybe I was in bore out. Cause for so long, I had had so much stress that when it was eliminated, it threw me on the other side of the spectrum where I was very uncomfortable with the lack of the stress. That's a
1: really good point. And here's like, but you, you know, there's two sides to it. You, like you're right about the fact that you probably were burned out from work. From school and and everything that you were doing before. Right. And the interesting part is often when we go into burnout in order to heal burnout, we need to go to the other side of the spectrum. Like we need a lot of rest. We need a lot of time and energy and high achievers hate that. And I understand that's not a fun place to be. But the only way we avoid that is by not getting to burnout.
0: Okay, I hear right? you. So like, I think
1: there's definitely truth and you might have been in that state. Like there might have not been enough stress to make you feel motivated and kind of like want to move towards something. But you probably were also recovering a little bit and kind of trying to find your way into like, where is comfort zone for me?
0: Mm, yeah, it was probably both. And I also think, I don't know if this is like a dangerous thing that you see a lot of high achievers do though. I think I associate a lot of my identity to my career. And so when that was gone for those like two, three months, maybe everyone was like, take a break, go on vacation. But I was like, I don't feel like myself without the environment of like dentistry, being with coworkers and stuff like that. Um, But I think there's something to unpack there about how us high achievers identify so much with the thing that makes us burned out and stressed. (laughs)
1: Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack there and you know, you're spot on about that. And you know, it also makes me think of like that curve. Of course, I would want people to be in comfort and stretch and not go into burnout or bore out, right? But I also think there's a lot to learn no matter where you are on that curve.
0: Mm. Right? So like
1: there's a lot that burnout is teaching us. It's our body communicating something important to us that we're ignoring right? And even being in bore out, and it sounds like for you, I think there's a lot to learn there, right? Because it sounds like that was forcing you to be like, who am I outside of my career? Like, what is, who is Connie? Like, wh- what is her identity outside of your career? And I think that's also really important to explore. Like, I want people to be super ambitious and go after their dreams and create these big, beautiful lives. But if we're creating these big, beautiful lives, from a place of fear and not feeling worthy if we're not doing that, Mm. right? It's like we're running away from something, not running towards something, which is often why when those same people achieve their big, beautiful dreams, they're like, it doesn't feel the way I thought it would feel. This doesn't feel fulfilling. And I think part of that is what was driving that. And for a lot of us overachievers, we, what drives us is actually fear and insecurity and shame, which then comes out as like, oh, my career is my identity, right? Like this need for external validation, right? And so when we achieve those goals, it feels a little empty sometimes. And so I think part of our work is learning to move towards those big, beautiful goals and be high achievers, right? Which is move towards our desires, not run from our fears and insecurity.
0: I think something, as I'm hearing us talking about, like, moving throughout these zones, though, something that I think I I would struggle with, probably, is discerning when I'm in that zone of delusion, because sometimes if it's, like, working so well, then I'm, like, it just seems so intuitive to be, like, let's do more of that, right? So, like, how do we really catch when we're in that zone of delusion, like, before we're totally burnt out? Yeah, I mean, this is
1: this is the question to answer for yourself in order to kind of build a resilient nervous system and achieve success that you know feels as good as it looks. Really understanding Mm -hmm. like, when am I in that stretch zone and when am I starting to move into strain, right? And Mm -hmm. I would say it's when you start, you're going to start noticing as you move out of stretch into strain, kind of like a little dip in your performance.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Right? And so there's going to be a little bit less, ease, a little bit less flow, a little bit more frustration. Your body is going to start getting a little more tired. Like your nervous system is going to start sending you cues that this is getting a little overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I think what makes it the zone of delusion is when those cues start happening. I'm not sure. And I'm curious to hear like what it is for you. Is it that you don't notice them at all? Or is it that you kind of notice them, but your instinct is, that's okay. I was just feeling great before. Let me just work a tiny bit harder. I just, let me just focus a little harder. Let me try. It a little. That
0: one. <laughs> I'm like, I know I can get there again.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's that feeling of like, I know I can get there again. You know, once I started yeah. paying attention to this and I pay attention to this, even when I'm working on something for the course, right? Like I start kind of observing myself like, okay, I think I'm in the stretch zone right now. What does it feel like? And often it will feel like a little bit of a flow state, Like I do have a little bit of tunnel vision, but almost because I'm like so into this and it's just coming out and it's flowing and I feel really present and I'm kind of like forgetting about the world. Mm -hmm. And I'll kind of observe that. And I'm like, oh, that kind of feels nice. I feel like I'm on a roll. Like that's the feeling that is happening for me. I'm very focused and I'm on a roll, right? Mm -hmm. And then there will come this point where, My focus isn't as great anymore. And I'm kind of like getting a little distracted and like, like, oh, my back hurts. And like, did I eat? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That starts happening. And I just realized how tempting it is to just try to push past that. Because I think Mm -hmm. in the past, that's what made me successful. That I could just keep Mm -hmm. going, be very disciplined. But in the moments where I could notice that happening and be like, oh, this is that. You know, I actually remember when I was literally creating that training that was happening to me. And it was just (laughs) funny because I'm writing about it and I'm like, oh, I, right now, this is happening in this exact moment of like, I see myself starting to dip into strain. And I was like, okay, I got to walk the walk. And so I stopped, even though I was on a roll and I'd gotten more work done in probably like two hours than I had in a few days. And I was very excited about that. Right. But I forced myself to stop, which was very uncomfortable. And be like, okay, let's just go for a walk. Let's do something to regulate. And I remember it was a nice day and I went for a walk. And I was like, I really, I could tell once I got outside, I'm like, I needed this. Like my brain was starting to wander. My executive functioning, it was there, but it was starting to like not work as well. You know, the creative thinking, the decision-making, the big picture that I like felt so clear to me when I was in that zone, it started to get very fuzzy. And so I took that break, you know, and it was probably like 30 minutes And then I came back to it and it was so much easier for me to get back into that stretch zone, into that state Mm. of flow. And I know had I just not taken those 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes later, I would have felt really exhausted, really drained. And I know myself that by the time I got to that, where I'm like, so I wouldn't be able to continue working for the rest of the day, probably.
0: Right. I'd probably just crash
1: on the couch or something and I'd go into dorsal. And then that would be really hard to pull out of for me.
0: Could we actually touch a bit on this? I don't know if we discussed it in the course. I still have a couple um, modules left, but it seems like there's a lot of emphasis on this flow state. Um, and I think like we've all maybe at some point experienced something where we're in the zone, we're in the flow. Why is it so important for humans to be in this flow state? What, it, what is it about the flow state that's so like soothing to our nervous systems or so good for us?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know if I would say it's good for us. I think it is because like, you know, we have access to creativity and we feel like we can kind of be at our fullest in that moment. But I think what's really happening is there is there's this intense focus and presence. It's kind of like taking the best of both worlds in the sense of, you know, the ventral state, which is when you feel safe and regulated and connected. You know, I imagine like having one foot in that state and one foot in that sympathetic state where, you know, we have a little more energy. We're very productive in that state. We could be very focused, right? Like long-term being in that, not great. Anxiety, not great. But we've all felt that sympathetic fight or flight energy and been like, ooh, this kind of feels like energizing.
0: Like I kind of like
1: this, right? And so I imagine that flow state is like one foot in each. You're still, you know in that ventral state where you still feel relatively connected to yourself Mm -hmm. and grounded, but you also have a little bit of that sympathetic energy, which is kind of giving you this like focus and intensity, Mm. right? It's that right amount of stress. That's really motivating you and pushing you towards your goals. And I think that feels really good. And in that state, we could often connect to, you know, our purpose or what gives you know us meaning or what motivates us. And I think in many ways, that's when we feel the most ourselves.
0: You know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking now it always comes back to this. It always comes back to the state because as you were talking, I was like, oh, so maybe we shouldn't be chasing flow state. Just now I was like, oh, let's chase more flow. But then I was like, maybe we shouldn't be chasing the flow state. We should be chasing being in the, well, not chasing, but we should honor being in the ventral state that allows us to feel that flow. Because when you're not in ventral, you you can't really fully feel that flow, right? Yeah, I think it's a lot I harder. I chasing is like the wrong word because I don't want to always be ventral either. Exactly. And I think like where
1: you're spot on here is like, I think the goal is not to be chasing any of them. Right. It's to kind of see that all of them are communicating something really important to us. And when we could understand what they're communicating, we can kind of work with them and make minor adjustments to align to what needs to happen in that moment and what's appropriate in that moment. So, for example, if you're connecting with your fiance, you don't want to be in flow state. You want to be completely ventral. You want to be able to be fully connected with him and present with him. Right. When you're in flow and, you know, if he's coming in, you probably don't feel like you're able to connect with him. Right. You lose sense of, you know, time and space a little bit when you're in that flow state. And so it's it's more about using our states to create, to align with what we want to do and what we want to experience in those moments. And I think this idea that we should change, chase flow states just speaks to our culture's obsession with productivity, like almost seeing ourselves as machines. How do we make ourselves more efficient? You know, a machine is valued based on how efficient it is, how much it produces per minute. Right. And I think often we do that to ourselves. We see like we're only valuable if we're at max productivity, max efficiency. But the truth is, we're not machines. We're not just here to produce and to achieve. We're here to also be and connect and express which is not necessarily what happens in flow state.
0: Yeah, I'm realizing this is probably me showing up in sympathetic state a little because sympathetic me wants to chase something. I want a goalpost. I want to like something to work towards. But as you're talking, I'm like, oh, the value is in like witnessing and understanding what state I am and like, like seeing for what it is. Because it's okay, like we said, to be in dorsal. It's okay to be in sympathetic. It's kind of like, but like, what is this telling me? You know, like, and using that as the valuable part instead of being like, how do I get out of this? Like I shouldn't be here.
1: Exactly. It's like, what is it telling me needs to be the first and most important part. And then once we get really good at understanding what's it telling me, we could also think about, well, what do I want to be doing? What feels most aligned for me right now? And how do I work with my state to help me do the thing I want to do. Right. So maybe you have a really tough week at work and you really need to be focused and you need to be in that flow state. You need to be, you know, creating or teaching. You need to maybe be creative. Right. And so if you could pay attention, understand what state am I in? And then you could work with that of like, okay, what adjustments can I make to put me into a state that would be supportive of this? That would give me energy to maybe move through a tough week where I I do have to hustle because that happens sometimes, right? Versus there might be weeks where you're like, I just want to connect and be present. I want to be fully there. Maybe it's your honeymoon. Maybe it's, you know, time with friends or holidays, right? And so, Mm -hmm. again, what state am I in? What's actually happening for me? What's my body trying to communicate to me? And how do I support my nervous system to help me? Be really present, really engaged, really connected. Maybe really relaxed, whatever that may be.
0: There's one more point that I want to touch on, and we briefly discussed this in like the the healthy stress aspect. And this is actually breath work because in your module we were talking about witnessing what the process of growth looks like. We talked about how breath work can be something that's like a healthy form of controlled stress because you control it. Wait, actually, could we go into one more thing that this also reminds me of, which is stress versus a stressor? Because those are also different, and I didn't realize until the course.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. You're bringing up two great points. So, yes, I find it really helpful to understand the distinction between stress and stressors, because people use them interchangeably, and they're not, right? And until we can understand the difference, we can't really work with stress. So a, a stressor is something external, that feels threatening to your nervous system. It could be a situation, it could be a person, it could be an environment, but it's something that's signaling danger to your nervous system. It might be a tiger, it might be a work email, it might be a situation with your partner, right? That's the stressor. That is the thing that is creating some kind of reaction in your body, right? Which is the stress. The stress is the physiological response of your body to the stressor. It's your body being like, oh, we recognize that something outside of us is unsafe. So we're going to mobilize to give you the best chances of surviving the stressor, right? Because our bodies are relatively primitive. When they think stressor, they think tiger. They think Mm. danger to, to our physical safety, right? And so when our body picks up on a stressor, it thinks, oh, shoot. She needs to keep herself safe. So we're going to mobilize, right? And so every system in our body mobilizes to help us deal with the threat. And so when we feel stressed, when we feel anxiety, that sympathetic energy that you you and I have spoken about, that's mobilizing energy. That's your body being like, oh, shoot, she might need to run. She might need to fight. So your vision changes, your saliva changes, your blood flow, your heart rate, your digestion, your immune system, everything mobilizes to increase your chances of dealing with this perceived threat, the stressor. Again, your body thinks it's a tiger, but it might be a work email, but your body's not mobilizing any differently to the work email than it would to the tiger because it can't really tell the difference. So you're still, you know, there's still a lot of blood flow to your muscles. So your shoulders kind of like go up to your ears and your heart rate speeds up. These are all things that would help you get away from the tiger. They're not really helping you deal with this work email,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: So that's the distinction. The stressor is the external thing that it feels threatening to you. And the stress is the body's response. It's the physiological response to help you deal with the stressor.
0: Mm, So to give my audience some context, I think a good example would be actually like something that I experienced this past week, Um, like right before we did our hot seat. And like, this is kind of part of what I was unpacking was, um, so this is an example of like stress versus stressor. So one day at work this week, I had a patient come in, it was already like the second time that they were coming in for this type of appointment because the first time the procedure didn't work out. So this is the second time. So I think I was already a little bit stressed. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, it didn't work out again. And I think that's the stressor because in a lot of times these things happen in dentistry where it's stuff that we can't fully control, like patient bleeding everywhere, no matter how much we try, um, crown not fitting right, things like that. Um so that was the stressor was the thing that like I couldn't really control. It was going to happen to me after a certain amount of time. But the stress, like my body, I feel like I went straight to dorsal because like before the appointment was like, going great. I feel like if anything, I was like my authentic self. We were laughing, having a great time. The second I like put it in and I was like, this isn't fitting Then I just felt like almost like my stomach drop. And then that was one day where I just remember driving home in silence. And I feel like a lot of new grad dentists have this experience where you had a bad day, you just drive home in silence and you just think like, like couldn't be worse. Like, am I meant to be here? Am I like good enough? Like, were they better off with someone else? These were some of the things that I unpacked with you during our hot seat. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that it's important for people to know that that's kind of what it looks like because we're not saying get it right every time because that's not possible, but we're saying like that's what it may look like when your stressor is allowing your body to feel that stress, correct?
1: Yes, exactly. Like I think that was a great distinction of like that situation was the stressor and then your body responded in a way that maybe you know, you didn't like, right. A lot of times people are like, Oh, why am I shutting down? Or why am I feeling so anxious? Right. But what's happening is your body is trying to mobilize to deal with the threat. Right. And we go sympathetic when we're trying to take action. Like I'm going to do more. That's when we feel that anxiety. Like, you know, your body wants to run or fight something, but when the threat feels overwhelming, right? Maybe this is what it was for you here because it's happened a few times. Right. And maybe your nervous system, like, this is just too much. Like, I don't think we could fight this. I don't think we could handle it. Right. And it's kind of like your nervous system plays dead. And that's what you're, you were experiencing where it's almost like your stomach drops and like, you're just almost disconnected. You're not even paying attention that there's no music playing. Right. He literally. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's like that disassociating and that's your nervous system basically being like, that's your nervous system preparing to die in a way. And so it's like, it's better to like almost disassociate and disconnect. So we feel less pain, right? Mm -hmm. It's trying to protect you from the pain you would otherwise feel maybe about the situation or about yourself or whatever insecurities, you know, a situation like that could absolutely bring up making, you know, mistakes or having difficult days, especially when we're like, you know, in those early kind of years of our career.
0: Mm. What you're saying is absolutely correct, too, about how it's, like, the nervous system wanting to die, (laughs) because I remember thinking, like, I wish I could just, like, disappear and not have to, like, this again. I'm like, I don't want to exist anymore. Someone else can take this. I know they they got it. They can handle it, Um, which is something that I think a lot of people need to admit more, because I know people must feel that way, Um, but it's not something that we like to talk about a lot, because, you know... You have a professional whatever to uphold. Um, But I think that the more people are honest about this feeling, I think the more that we can combat it. But what could have been maybe like a better approach? Let's say it happened, right? Before I took that silent drive home, was there something I could have done to maybe like bump myself? I guess, well, really, it's bumping myself back up from out of that dorsal state then, right? Like the breath work and all of that. Yeah, so... Here's like a couple
1: of things, right? It's like, are there things you could do to move out of that dorsal state and the tools you can use? Yes, absolutely. But before we jump to tools to get out of it, right? Because if we jump straight to tools to get out of it, it's almost like we're saying this state is bad. This is the worst thing that could happen oh, to fix this. That's right right? And so we want to make sure we're not doing that because then it's almost like we're rejecting a part of ourselves and emotions, Mm -hmm. right? And our nervous system actually just working really hard to keep us safe from discomfort and pain, right? And so the first thing we want to do is almost just to acknowledge what's happening and to become aware of it. And I think like what you just said about it's so important we're more honest about this, I think is spot on to that because if we had more of these conversations and people understood how often we all feel that way, right? When our nervous system goes into that dorsal state and like, I just feel so hopeless, right? Mm -hmm. Not only will you feel all the physical, you know, sensations you experience, that have the behaviors of maybe like not even listening to music or being kind of feeling kind of numb, but Mm -hmm. your story, your thoughts will always follow the state. So if you're in dorsal, your thoughts will often be like, I just want to disappear. This is pointless. It's never going to get better. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm not good enough. There's going to be a lot of shame, a lot of disconnection, a lot of always and never, a lot of hopelessness. And all that is, is a reflection of us being in dorsal. And if we could understand that and hear others talk about that and share about that, then maybe when we get into that state, instead of believing that, we could almost start to observe it. It's like, okay, I feel the sensations of the dorsal state. And I could see that my thoughts are a reflection of that. And instead of wanting to get rid of it, of almost just kind of giving yourself the compassion you'd probably give a friend if they called you up and saying, Hey, I'm feeling this way. I'm having these thoughts. You probably wouldn't be like, Oh my God, just snap out of it. Like, get out of it as quickly as possible. You'd be like, No, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I get it. I felt that way. Like, it's not true, but I understand. I've I've experienced those thoughts myself from time to time when I'm having a hard day, right? And you would offer compassion and understanding to them. <laughs> I believe that's actually the first step that has to happen, right? And like mm-hmm. you and I have spoken about this, of like this idea of like self love feels very fuzzy to people,
0: mm-hmm. like, cutesy,
1: you know, not serious, kind of like a joke. But yeah, what I'm saying here, right? Like I, I completely get it. I used to think that myself, but this compassion that I'm inviting you to take in that moment it's kind of also a sneaky way of then getting very curious, right? So if you kind of turn to yourself with curiosity and start giving yourself compassion, instead of being completely like in that state and overtaken by that state, you're observing the state. So you're almost like distancing yourself. You're like, Oh, I see these sensations. I see these thoughts. But if you're saying, I see them, I witness them. You're in the observer seat and you're observing that part of you, right? You've almost like unblended from it a little bit, given a little distance to observe. Oh, That's a thing that I'm experiencing. That's not necessarily me. That's not necessarily the truth. That's a thing I'm experiencing. And when you kind of unblend from it and observe it, that's when you have the opportunity to then maybe take some kind of action to move out of it. That's like that self-love is actually it's doing more than just like being, you know, sweet with yourself.
0: Right. And I feel like a popular quote is people say, like, don't take things so personally. I think in the wrong context, that can be like wrong. But this is almost a variation of that a healthier variation of that in that, like, don't take it so personally, as in like, like when I was in that dorsal state, I, I took it very personally, a mistake or not even a mistake, an outcome that happens to dentists everywhere, every day it that is something that we cannot control this outcome in that moment i took so personally because i was like oh it must be because i'm new it must be because i was their doctor someone else should have been their doctor um yeah. whereas i think like if i could have observed that and like recognized it i could have heard i don't know just recognize like okay that's not really true if a friend told me that i would definitely tell them that's not true exactly and you said
1: that really well of It makes it a little less personal because it makes it, it's not you, it's your nervous system, right? And I think that is a really helpful concept, which is why I like looking at this work through the lens of the nervous system. It's not that you're a bad dentist, it's that your nervous system is dysregulated. And that does allow you to kind of separate yourself from it and observe it and not take it so personally. It's not you, it's just this is a reflection of your nervous system state. And I think that is really helpful because then it allows us to practice mindfulness, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? And that mindfulness then allows us to take action to move forward. Mindfulness is really, really powerful. Like, I don't call it mindfulness in my course, or I do in a Mm -hmm. few places, but that's really what it is. This is a way of practicing mindfulness.
0: Everything, actually, you're totally right, because it's not something that's, like, fully has its own thing, but mindfulness, I think, is, like, pervasive, like, all around all of our lessons, because what we talked about today was, like, like identifying, understanding what states we're in, um, like, recognizing when we're a certain way versus when we're another there's another part of mindfulness that I actually, we briefly talked about too, which is breathwork. I feel like breathwork is such a good way to like center ourselves from the breathwork that we do in the beginnings of your courses. Um, Could you just to finish this off, go into what kinds of things we can learn from like our breathing patterns in day to day, because that's another form of like mindfulness is like being aware of like, huh, my breathing pattern is like this.
1: Oh, 100%. That's such a great point. And So yeah, when we start observing our breath, we could often tell a lot about our emotional state and our nervous system state, right? So you could pay attention to, is your breath fast or slow? Is it shallow or is it deep, right? Is it kind of getting very stuck in the chest, which often means it's a little more shallow and a little bit more sympathetic, so your nervous system's a little Mm -hmm. bit more in that fight or flight, versus sometimes it feels like we're barely breathing like you're like did I forget to breathe like was I even taking breaths (laughs) that's often a sign that we were in dorsal Mm. right and so I think observing your breath it does kind of it does many things for you but one thing it definitely does is it helps you come back into the body right when we're dysregulated we go into our heads because our body doesn't feel safe but our body has so much information that we're missing right again going back to what we were saying about being overachievers and so when we start finding our breath, we just start paying attention to basic sensations in our body, which is really, really important for everything we've spoken about today, right? So even just that is incredibly beneficial of like, what are sensations I'm feeling in this moment? Is my breath really fast and shallow? Is it slow? Is it, you know, nice and rhythmic, right? Right. Paying attention to that gives us a lot of cues about our nervous system and about our emotions. And often just paying attention to our body can give us an idea of like, oh, I didn't even notice. I think I actually feel really sad. But I was so like in my head trying to figure out and analyze and ruminate that I didn't even realize like, oh, there's there's, like this feeling in my chest. But finding our breath could be the way back into our bodies.
0: Does that make sense? I think that's, that's the most, one of the most powerful things I learned from your course. I know I say that about everything, but it's the fact that breathing feels like one thing that is both a source of information, but also a tool. So like, that's kind of like how we learn from our breathing. But could you actually go into now, maybe like a breathing exercise? I know we discussed like coherent breathing. Um, Could we discuss a breathing exercise that we can use as a tool? Yes,
1: absolutely. And I know before I just realized you asked me a question about kind of like using breath as a stressor. And so we could definitely- Oh, yes, that's it as well. Right? And so maybe this is a good place to explain that our breath is very powerful and that it's a lever, right? Into our autonomic nervous system. And what I mean by that is you don't have to think about breathing. You breathe unconsciously, but you could also change your breath consciously, right? And you can't do that for any other part of your autonomic nervous system. You can't just like change your heart rate. You can't just change your immune system, right? You don't control over it, but you do have control over your breath. So when we start changing our breath, it's like a lever into our nervous system. And we can use this lever in different ways, right? So one of the ways that we can use it is to help our nervous system regulate, right? And kind of bring our nervous system out of that sympathetic state to a more calm and grounded state. And that's what most breath work is about. Right. And we could totally talk about like a couple of practices that could help people start doing that right now. They could start practicing them immediately. Right. And there's breathwork practices that instead of bringing you into a more calm, regulated state, they actually take you into a heightened, elevated state. They actually activate your sympathetic nervous system. Right. Instead of your parasympathetic. And you might think, like, why would we want to do that? It's not the exact opposite of what we want. We don't want to be stressed and overwhelmed. But this is where the idea of controlled stress comes in, right? When there's a lot of stress coming in that's not in our control, that could start to feel very, very overwhelming, and that could start to create all those issues that we talked about, like burnout. But if we use stress intentionally, if we choose the stress that we're bringing in, we can use that stress in the same way we use weights at the gym, right? Weights at the gym are stress. You choose to lift them a little, get a little uncomfortable in order to become stronger. We can use the breath in exactly the same way. We can use the breath to activate our sympathetic nervous system, to put us into a more stressful state, and then kind of practice coming back down. And so what that's doing is making our nervous system more resilient, right? And giving us a little bit more control over our nervous system. If you think about something like cold plungers, which is like really big right now, right? It's the same thing. It's controlled stress. You are actively putting yourself into a sympathetic state and learning to get calm in that state. And that is actually making your nervous system a lot stronger.
0: And that's a little way that we can go from that stretch zone back and forth to the comfort zone, right?
1: Exactly. So when you like get in a cold plunge, you are very much going into a stretch, right? But if you can use your breath when you're in that cold plunge to regulate yourself back into parasympathetic, you're actually teaching your nervous system to be able to handle stress more calmly.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. What is something that someone can do then? Are there like YouTube videos you recommend or like good ways to kind of do this, implement this at home?
1: The kind of the stress, the taking on intention. Yeah. Stress?
0: Like I'm pretty sure I, I think I've tried in the past, like the Wynn hoffman Yes.
1: That, that yes. I love that one. Um, I think the Wim Hof one is great. So it, you are basically doing 30 to 40 deep breaths and then you're holding your breath on empty and then on full and you do a few rounds of that. That's a really great practice. That's exactly what he teaches you. It's why he also incorporates a lot of like cold plunges into his work. So I highly recommend that one. Um, I will say with those kind of practices, it is important to either like find a YouTube video or attend a class because they can get a little intense. Mm. Right. So a little preparation for that, I think is really important. Again, if you love cold plunges, highly recommend it. I just also recommend use your breath in there. Don't just like power through it. A lot of people, when they go into a cold plunge, they try to like willpower their way through it. Uh-huh. And that's not doing what you think it's doing. So it's still good for your health. <laughs> not as great for your nervous system.
0: Yeah. Okay, got it. You know,
1: and so so that would be my caveat with those practices. If you want more calming practices, there's tons of those that you can use throughout your day, even in little bursts. And that too is very powerful because think about it. You have, you know, most people who listen to this podcast, they have stress going on all the time. So they're already kind of stepping into that stretch zone quite a bit. But what they could really benefit from is learning to pull back learning to go back Mm. into the comfort zone. And so these calming breathing exercises could be a great way of like practicing that going into stress because their jobs are stressful and then using Mm. the breath to pull back to create that back and forth movement, which we know builds resilience in the nervous system.
0: So like during a lunch break or something or in between patients while you're typing the notes, is that, is coherent breathing then considered, um, like a calming one then? Yes. Could could you go into that one?
1: So coherent breathing is really simple, but it's actually really powerful. It's probably the simplest breathing practice Mm. that we can do, but it's actually one of the most powerful. And so all we do is we inhale for five or six, and then we exhale for five or six. That's it through the nose. And so what this does is it actually puts all the systems of our body into equilibrium creates coherence amongst the systems of our body. There's so much interesting research around how different religions, different prayers fall into the same pattern of breathing. This like five in and five out, six in and six Mm. out. I think it's 5.5 is like the magic number. And so many different religions, their prayers fall into that same rhythm, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's almost like religions understood that there's this power to calming Mm. people and syncing everyone up. Um, and so, so it's really powerful. So that's a great one. And that one, even just doing two minutes of that in the morning, in between patients, after a long day of work is, again, it's so powerful and it could not be more simple. It's just you're breathing through the nose, 5.5 seconds in, 5.5 seconds out. There's plenty of apps, but again, it's something that you could very simply do on your own because it's just, it's so easy.
0: Mm -hmm. And there's no like, well, I mean, there is doing it wrong, I'm sure, but it's so easy. The 5.5 seconds. It's okay if it's six, you know, like. Exactly. Honestly, I think it's really hard to do
1: it wrong. And so it might be a little difficult at first and finding that rhythm, but the more you do it, you will get it. And doing something Mm. is always better than doing nothing. Mm. Right. So even starting with that and just paying attention to your breath, maybe you feel like you're not doing it perfectly, but just noticing as the breath goes in, does it move all the way into my belly? Does it get stuck in my chest? And just observing that And starting to almost like make tiny adjustments over time, you will see a difference. Worrying less about doing it right and just worrying more about being mindful and observing.
0: Even if you can only squeeze it in a little bit, just the fact that you even notice during work when normally you would just plow right through it. I think that in itself is like the accomplishment is what you're saying, right? That's exactly
1: what, and like for the
0: sake of the nervousness, the, the accomplishment,
1: especially early on is the awareness. If you could be like, oh, this is this regulation. Oh, this is me in sympathetic. This is me in dorsal. This is a little bit of anxiety. Let me pause and do something to see what happens. And that pause might be just take a deep breath, it might be the coherence breathing, it might just be observing it for a moment or stepping outside or placing your hand on your chest and just like acknowledgement of like, okay, yeah, it's not me, it's my nervous system. Like those pauses is what actually makes the difference because you're starting to make the unconscious conscious, which is where you start taking control back.
0: This is like a total full circle back to what we were beginning in the beginning talking about, about how I was like, wait, this is like not, this is just a, where's the tips and tricks? This is just observing. And now I'm like, oh, this is all full circle because the power is in observing and awareness.
1: Yeah. You know, and you're so right though. It's like, yeah, you've done my course now, you know, I'm not big on the tips and tricks. And like part of the reason... There's amazing tips and tricks like I love them. I love taking them in. But part of the reason why I feel like I don't love sharing them is because Mm -hmm. my work aims to give you the information about yourself and develop that awareness so you could realize the tips and tricks they're within you. You could figure them out on your own.
0: Mm, Well, I think that's also what makes your course different because a lot of what I find myself saying is this is why nothing's worked before. This is the missing piece. And that's because people are like the buzzwords and the things that get the clicks and the views are probably the the tips, tricks, the actionable items. But what they're forgetting is the whole awareness stage, it's the whole learning about our stage, the whole getting curious about ourselves stage.
1: It, that's exactly it. And it's like, those tips and tricks are great. But if we're using those tips and tricks as band-aids, then I don't mm-hmm. care if it's meditation. I don't care if it's breath work. I don't care if it's cold plunges. Those things are no better for us than using work as a band-aid for your validation, right? It's, it's just another band-aid. And so even these amazing tools could be used incorrectly if the intention behind the tool is to run away from a fear or insecurity or discomfort, just like make you go away, just fix it, right? And it's the awareness that we really need in order to heal. And the interesting thing is when we develop that awareness and understanding of ourselves and learn to work with it, as corny as it sounds, like you realize the answers are literally within you. You have all the answers and that's why all the answers you've heard before never worked because they were someone else's answers and your answers are within you and paying attention and having that awareness and yeah, trying a few tips and tricks, of course, but it's really within you as, as corny as that sounds.
0: That's so powerful. I hope whoever's listening out there like pauses this, takes a second because I know we just like taught you guys all this information, but maybe like take a second now just to like pause. You have permission to pause and just think about like what you could be like the information that you may know within yourself that you might not just be listening to because like it's really easy to listen to all everybody else's tips and all the resources that we have now. But for whoever's listening to this, I want you guys to think about what Masha just said and really like pause there. And think about what you could be learning um, from yourself. So
1: I love that. I love that you're so right. Because it's like in this conversation, for example, you're right. Like we gave a lot of information, but if we could summarize it, I would say one, it's paying attention to like, where are you trying to use the tips and tricks as band-aids, right? As quick fixes, right? Mm. To avoid doing the deeper work of getting to know yourself And wherever that is, how can you use awareness? And it could be curiosity about your breath, curiosity about your stress levels, curiosity about sensations in your body or your nervous system state. Like that might give you way more answers than the tips and tricks that you're kind of craving.
0: Totally. Well, okay, as per usual, our hour totally flew by, Masha. (laughs) I don't know how this happened, but for anyone that this may be the first episode they're listening to, um, you guys have to go. This is episode, like, four with Masha, I'm pretty sure. So if you liked what you heard, like, go check out the other ones that we already have. But Masha, leave with everyone where they can find you again.
1: Yes, you guys could find me on probably the best places Instagram. I'm Masha K, M-A-S-H-A-K-A-Y. I'm on TikTok, but I'm not so great with TikTok. Maybe I'll do better soon. I'm Coach Masha K, same spelling there. And you could check out my website, MashaK.com to see, you know, my group program that we keep mentioning here and, and my one-on-one work.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Masha. And thank you so much for everyone for listening. We will see you guys next time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun.